to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 as we're looking at what it is, how easy it is for us to miss Jesus as we're getting ready for Easter. So we've talked about missing Jesus in in various aspects of our lives. And today we come to a a parable here that can often be misunderstood or misinterpreted. But if we'll take what the Bible actually says, I don't think we'll be misinterpreting it at all. I think we'll actually see exactly what Jesus wants us to see in these verses. So it's Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. And, And as we think about how easy it is to miss Jesus with the disciples walking around with Jesus, the people walking around with Jesus and still Often they missed what he was saying and what he was up to. He's told them that the Son of Man has to go to Jerusalem to be uh, spit upon, right? To be mocked, to be flogged, to be beaten, to be killed, and to rise again. And they still don't get it. He's told them multiple times that his mission is to come and to seek and to save, and, and they don't get it. They're waiting for a king, and he's not quite the king they were waiting for. He's a little different. And so Jesus tells a parable here right after, as he's walking through Jericho, right after he's run into a guy named Zacchaeus. We know him as the wee little man, right, that climbed the tree. All right, that, he runs into Zacchaeus, and he changes Zacchaeus' life, right? He brings salvation to the household of Zacchaeus. And at the end of uh, verse 10, this is what we read. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And from there... It says the people had heard all of these things, and so Jesus begins to tell them a parable so that they would understand what his mission is because they had mixed up his mission. They were wrong about what his mission was. And today I don't want us to miss Jesus in his mission, and I don't want to miss Jesus in our mission because inside the mission of Jesus there is a commandment for us that we must not miss. Otherwise, we will miss what Jesus is doing in our everyday lives. So Jesus tells this parable for a, a specific group of people in a specific place for a specific purpose. And he actually tells us what that is in verse 11. So if you would look at your Bibles, Luke chapter 19, verse 11. As they heard these things, what things? Today salvation has come to this house, for he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. When they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So there is a specific place. It says he told this parable because he was going through Jericho. He was nearing Jerusalem. So here he is in Jericho, this location, and he begins telling a story that echoes a story that happened about 30 years earlier in Jericho. He's going to tell a parable that parallels some things that happened 30 years earlier. So if you back up 30 years or so, Jesus is a small child. He's a toddler. In fact, he's a toddler in Bethlehem. Okay? And there's a guy ruling over Jericho, where Bethlehem is, and his name is Herod the Great. Herod the Great liked the idea of a Messiah, a king, being born in his kingdom. No, what did he do? He killed all the babies in Bethlehem, right? That's the guy we're talking about. 30 years earlier, there was a guy named Herod, and before he died, he took his kingdom, his little mini kingdom that had been granted him by the Romans, and he split it up among his sons. And the one that was supposed to get Jericho, his name was Archelaus. And Archelaus was worse than his dad. In fact, there had been a riot in Jerusalem, and he had killed about 3,000 of the Jews in Jerusalem. So this guy was not a good guy. And the story goes that Archelaus, because 
this gift, this bequeathal of his father had to be approved by Rome. Archelaus goes to Rome to meet with Caesar Augustus to get approval from, from Caesar Augustus for him to be the new king. And the Jewish people, because they hated him, they sent a, a delegation behind him to plead, please don't let him be our king. We don't want him to be our king. He's evil. He's horrible. Well, he becomes king. And when he comes back, he punishes those who had stood in his way. Jesus takes that story and parallels it with a parable so that we will understand. It will go right into the hearts and the minds of people. So he's telling this story in a specific place. Not to say that he himself is a despotic, just evil ruler who's just going to go after and kill a bunch of people, but to say this, and I want to make sure you understand this. If in a mini kingdom in the middle of the desert, what seems to be a pretty inconsequential little area of the world, there is judgment by a mini king on his people who do not support him, love him, follow him, obey him, how much greater will the judgment be from the King of kings and Lord of lords when he returns? Think about that. If many King Archelaus brings judgment, would not the King of kings and Lord of lords bring judgment as well? Now, we don't like to think of Jesus in that way, right? (laughs) We like to think of Jesus as, come down, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house to eat, right? We like to think of Jesus as that guy. Until he disagrees with the same things we disagree with. Then we like Jesus who's flipping over tables. right? Is everybody with me? We like soft, cuddly Jesus until Jesus agrees with us. As long as Jesus is agreeing with us, he can just be as confrontational as he wants to be. Because we can go, yeah, see, Jesus hated it, so I get to hate it too. But as soon as he starts to disagree with us, it puts us in a troublesome spot, doesn't it? And so what he's telling through this story is he's reminding us that his kingdom is coming. Now what's happening is the people here are expecting him to go into Jerusalem and establish his kingdom right now. Like kick the Romans out and establish his kingdom. And he tells them the story to say that's not what's happening. In fact, he's already told them what he's going to Jerusalem to do, and that's to suffer. So he wants, in his purpose, is what he says, they suppose that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He wants them to know, don't be surprised when I go into Jerusalem and suffer. I'm not going to sit on a throne. I'm going to hang on a cross. I'll return to sit on the throne. But now I'm going to suffer. His kingdom was coming through suffering, not through his immediate glorification. So further down on your sheet, if you're filling it out, you'll see this phrase, the Jewish people focused too heavily on the consummation of the Messiah's kingdom. They were constantly looking for the end of the story. They read the Old Testament, they saw the promises, and they were like, okay, that day's coming, the Messiah's going to come, and he's going to establish his kingdom, and it's going to be great, everything's going to be made right. They tended to forget the suffering servant side of the Messiah story, where he's going to come and he's going to die. So Jesus is constantly reminding them that his mission is first to save. Then he's coming to establish his kingdom. We, on the other hand, we tend to miss what Jesus is up to because we tend to focus too much on his suffering and tend to forget that the Jesus of the cross is coming back as the Jesus of Revelation as the judge and the king 
He's not coming back to suffer anymore. He's coming back to rule and to reign and to judge. And today I want us to make sure we understand that we have a returning king. And if we'll remember we have a returning king, it will change everything about our lives. Because when he returns, we'll have to give an account. And that's what this story is all about. Two things I want you to see in this story that are very plain. First, those who oppose Jesus' kingship will be met with judgment. And second, those who follow Jesus must be faithful in their service until he returns. Because we will give an account. So the story goes like this, verse 12. A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Sound familiar? Archelaus, right? Calling ten of his servants before he left, he gave them ten minas. So each mina is about three months' wages. So he gave one to each of the ten servants, and he said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, so now he's got the kingdom, and he comes back, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. That's a pretty good deal, right? And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? That's the least a guy could have done, right? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not, even that which he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is not soft, cuddly Jesus. I want you to understand Jesus is compassionate and kind. Jesus is king. And he means to rule over a kingdom. And we're meant to be servants of a king. If we're going to live our lives every day, waiting for this king to return, living in light of the fact that we have a a king who has died in our place and a king who's returning, we're going to miss Jesus if we don't see him as king. If we don't live like he's king. Live like it's true that he's our king. What type of king is he from this story? First of all, he is a king who's returning. Look at verse 12. A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then returned. So he wasn't just going to get his kingdom. Jesus did not just go to heaven to be given the name that's above every name, that at his name every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He also went to heaven and the night before he died, he told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm coming again. When he ascended, the angel came and said, why are you standing here looking at the sky? In the same way he went, he's coming again. We have a promise that our, our king is returning. And we need to remember he's returning because 
when he shows up, there are going to be expectations. See, I think we, as 21st century believers in America, tend to think that, well, it's all going to end one day. Jesus is going to come back, but it's going to be tiptoeing through the tulips. Just read your Bible. There's not much tiptoeing through the tulips going on at the end. Right? Most of the most of the imagery at the end is pretty brutal, isn't it? And you want to be on the right side of that, right? <laughs> and if we believe the Bible is true and that he's coming again, we should be crying out just like John in Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But we have to understand what comes with that. What comes with that is he's coming again, not as long-haired, flowing, Birkenstock-wearing Jesus. He's coming back with fire in his eyes. He's coming back as the rider on the white horse. He's coming back as the lion, not the lamb. Let's not miss that. That's our returning king. That's good news for those who are his servants. We have a king who is returning. We also have a king who is not wanted by many. Look at verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Isn't that exactly what happened to Jesus? Isn't that what's happening to Jesus now? People defaming the name of Jesus saying we don't want him as king. Isn't it funny that those some who would even say that they were followers of Jesus, they are Christians, would say, I like the idea of Jesus saving me from my sins. I'm not big on Jesus ruling my life. I don't want him to reign over me. See, even when Jesus in his earthly ministry, he came to earth. The Bible tells us in John 1 that he came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. He was rejected as king. Oh, that we would be careful to not claim him as Savior without claiming him as Lord and King. We must be careful with this. To not just want forgiveness, but to want Jesus who is the lion and the lamb. He's not wanted by many, but he's also one who calls out servants. Look at verse 13. Calling out ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. Jesus is not without those who he calls servants. What's, what's the nature of a servant? What does a servant do? Serves. That's pretty easy, right? That's like... that's remedial level for questions today. You might get a couple more softballs like that. Okay. What does a servant do? A servant serves. Serves who? The master. So I ask you, what 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 does your life look like in service to the master? If if people were to look at your life, look at my life, look at our church, look at our families, look at our jobs, look at what we value, what what would they say we're serving? Who would they say we're serving? Who Who's the master? And I ask you that in a serious way. Because if Jesus is the master and he's given you something, what are you using it for? See, the judgment that comes down from Jesus is not how much stuff you have. It's what you're doing with the stuff he gives you. That's the issue at hand here. So he calls out servants and then he gives those servants a command. Look back at verse 13. 
engage in business until I come. This is what he said to them. Engage in business until I come. What's he saying there? Engage in business. Let's take that first. Okay, Stewardship. He's saying, I'm giving you something. Now put it to work. I'm giving you money. Put it to work for my kingdom. He's given you life and breath. Put it to work for his kingdom. He's given you your family. Put it to work for his kingdom. He's given you this church. Put it to work for his kingdom. He's given you everything. Put it to work for his kingdom. So there are two people, two groups of people in this story. There are the servants who are really servants, and then there are the enemies of God. There's no middle ground, right? Because the third guy, which group does he get lumped in with? Servants or enemies? Enemies, right? So you're either a true servant or an enemy. And a servant looks like someone who says, this is what Jesus has given me. I must put it to work. Now, what I love is the language here. He says, engage in business until I come. Then when he comes back, he says this. He says, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him and said, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. Isn't that a fascinating way of putting that? Because it's stewardship. This is what the servant understood. This mina was never mine. It was never mina. I almost said that. Yeah, that was going to be great. Right? This mina was never mine. It belongs to the king. Right? So I ask you, what are you holding on to that you think is yours? As I read this last night again, I was like, what is it in my life that I hold on to that I say, this is mine? I'll make it fruitful. I'll find a way to make it good and useful. I might even use it for Jesus every once in a while, but it's mine. What does the servant say? Your mina accomplished this. He understands that the role of a servant is stewardship. But look at the second part of the command here. He doesn't say just engage in business. He says don't stop until I come back. Engage in business until I come. So there's a promise that he's returning, but there's also an expectation that you're not going to stop engaging in stewardship of what God has given you until he returns. There's going to be a reckoning when he gets back, but don't stop. Think about stewardship in this way. Jesus does not give us our lives, our families, our jobs, our homes, our friendships, our health, our money, our education, our days, our weekends, our church, our abilities as gifts for us to find ease in this world, but instead as investments in his kingdom. Every single bit of your life is meant to be an investment in his kingdom. Because through that, we begin to know and experience more of who he is. Think about this servant. He began to understand The king is the one who owns everything. And the king, and now he's going to get to experience the generosity of the king as well. He understood the character of this king. And he understood the position of the king. And he understood his own position. And in doing so, he began to understand being a servant of the king is actually the gift. I get to be in the kingdom. I think this story teaches us that wherever you are in your life, you haven't arrived until he returns. It's really easy to kind of get to that point where it's good and then kind of coast from there, right? And I ask you, is it good right now? Because it's good, isn't it? 
For a lot of us, it's just good. In those moments, is it time to just coast or is it time to get to work for the kingdom? I believe that that's what we're being told in this passage of Scripture. Don't stop. Don't stop stewarding what He's given you. We have a king who's returning. We have a king who calls us out as servants. We have a king who gives us a command. And we have a king who is generous to those who are faithful to his command. Those who invest his good gifts. The first one, invest, and it, the mina earns ten minas. So like that's a pretty good return on investment, right? And in return, here's what Jesus says. I gave you the mind of the first place. It's my money that made the money. And what I'm going to give you for stewarding my money well, I'm going to give you ten cities. That's a pretty good return on investment for that guy, isn't it? He gets to be the Lord of ten cities simply because he was faithful with something that was all mercy and grace anyway. And what Jesus is telling us is be faithful. I'm generous to the faithful. To those who invest my good gifts. To those who purpose to live for the king. It's your mina accomplished this. It's for your kingdom. And for those who expect him to return. So I ask you, do you really expect Jesus to come back? Not just do you want Jesus to come back. That's one question. How many people want Jesus to come back? How many people are living as if he's actually coming back? That becomes a, it becomes a different question, doesn't it? Because if he was actually coming back, it would change everything about our lives, right? If we actually believed he could show up and call us into account, it would change everything, wouldn't it? But 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Revelation 22 tells us, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So what are you doing to steward what God has given you? Knowing his character, that he is generous to the faithful, that he he blesses those who invest his gifts for his kingdom. Randy Alcorn said this is what he had to come to in his life when he looked at his money and he looked at the gifts God had given to him. He says this, if God was the owner, I was the manager. I needed to adopt a steward's mentality towards the asset he, assets he had entrusted, not given to me. Think about that. He doesn't actually give you anything for you. It's all his. It, it remains his. Even when he gives you a gift, it's still his. He entrusts it to you because the steward manages assets for the owner's benefit. The steward carries no sense of entitlement to the assets he manages. It's his job to find out what the owner wants done with his assets, then carry out his will. Don't forget, every aspect, Mike McKinley would say, every aspect of your life is a gift. And it's a gift given to you to invest in the kingdom. Every bit of it. Your family, your money, your job, your health, your days, your nights, your weekends, your church, your friendships. Because we have a king who's returning, a king who calls out servants and gives them a command, a king who is generous to those who keep that command, but also a king who judges those who don't want him as their king. 
Maybe like the third servant, they misjudge his character. Maybe like the delegation that goes off and says, we don't want him, they misjudge his character. They see him ruling and reigning as just wrong because I want my freedom. I want my way. Maybe like the third guy, their defense is, look, I, I kept your mina in my handkerchief um, to keep it safe because I didn't want anything to happen to it because I know how angry you can get. And Jesus turns right back around. The king turns right back around. Oh, you want to see how angry I can get? I'll use your judgment of me against you. So let's not make the mistake of thinking we get to determine the character of God and act based on our thoughts about God. But we need to know Him. And the way to know Him is to obey Him. The way to know Him is to follow Him. The way to know Him is to listen to Him. So I want you to think about this third guy. Because this third guy in the story, I don't think he, he gets lumped in with the believers, right? With the people in the kingdom. He gets lumped in with the people who end up outside the kingdom. And this guy has been given a gift. He's been given something generous. It's mercy. It's grace from the king, right? And what does he do with it? He puts it in with his boogers. So much he valued it. I mean, think about that. If he had kids, he'd probably use that same handkerchief to wipe his kid's face. And he takes the gift from the king and he puts it in there. Puts it in his pocket. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're, you're going, well, you know, when, God, when, when, I, when I don't want to lose something, I have a special place for it. Maybe it's your sock drawer because you know nobody will go in there. I don't know. But I just ask you a question real quick. Just real quick. How many times in your life have you thought to yourself, all right, I'm going to take this thing because it's really important I remember where it is, and I'm going to put it somewhere that I won't forget and the, the next time you see it and remember where it is is the next time you're like, all right, this thing's really important. I need to put it somewhere that I won't forget. Because you forget where it is. Anybody? Put it, put it in some place so I won't forget. The next time you see it is when you're cleaning out the garage. Right? And it's behind the last thing that you hid behind the last thing that you hid. It's in the box with the other stuff you hid. This is what Jesus is telling us. When I give you a gift, don't hide it away to save it. You can't lose what Jesus gives. You can only lose what you won't use. So he gives us gifts. He says, don't hide them away. Use them for my kingdom. Do you believe that Jesus would give us gifts that would not produce fruit for his kingdom. That's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Counterproductive by Jesus? Let me give you a bunch of gifts that are going to be useless to my kingdom. That doesn't make sense, does it? So then why do we not use them for his kingdom? I know I'm guilty of that. I think we all are at times. And this is calling us back. Don't quit. Don't quit stewarding what he has given. Don't misjudge his character. He is generous. He is good. Don't think he's going to be angry if you lose it. No, know that he is powerful, so you can't lose it. 
Don't misjudge his return. He is going to come back, and when he comes back, there's going to be a reckoning. Don't miss it. Don't misjudge his expectations. When he says, do this, Jesus expects us to do this. Isn't it amazing how childlike we can be when it comes to Jesus? Because when Jesus tells us to do something, we tend to be a little more like our kids, which looks like this. Hey, go clean your room. And we say things like, evidently they hear, after you're done with what you're doing. Right? Or when you feel like it. (laughs) But I never said those words. Right? I said, go clean your room. And they heard, when I'm done with this game on my phone. Aren't we so like that with God? When he says, put it to work. And we go, maybe later. When Joanne and I first got married, and sometimes we still joke about this, one of the things I would say to her all the time, you know, when you're young, married, and you've you, you got to make sure that you still love each other, I guess, because we would look at each other and she would say, do you love me? And my answer was always, is it Tuesday? <laughs> Only on Tuesdays. It's not true. I love her every day. Okay? But I would say only on Tuesdays. Just to prove the point to her. That's a silly question. I love you. But I ask you, do we treat Jesus much like that? Do you love me? Do you trust me? Am I your king? You know, only on Sundays. Only when it's convenient. Only when I feel like it. Only when the mood hits me. Don't misjudge his expectations where he says, put it to work until I return. He is coming back. Once again, the Jewish people focused too heavily on the consummation of the Messiah's kingdom, of what was coming in the end. We tend to focus too heavily on the suffering of the Messiah and forget that he's returning. And he's returning as the king of kings and the judge. The fact that Jesus will return as king should affect everything in our lives. Because every aspect of our lives is a gift. So if you're here today and you call yourself a believer, you're, you're in the kingdom, you're a servant of the king, and you're called by the king, which means you're commanded by the king to take this gift and put it to work until he returns, I ask you, how are we investing as individuals in the kingdom that is coming? With your time with your job, with your health, with your days, with your weekends, your friendships? How are you investing all of those things? Not picking and choosing, but all of those things for the kingdom. Your money, your talents. How about your family? How are we investing as families in the kingdom that is coming? Are you marked by generosity? Hospitality, which is commanded in the Bible. What about as a church? How are we investing as a church in the kingdom that is coming? Are we intentionally making sure that everything is set up, all of our classes, all of our small groups, all of our Sunday services are set up for the purposes of the kingdom and not just for our own purposes and preferences? Are we building relationships outside of our normal circles so that maybe we can reach more people with the gospel? What are we doing intentionally to make sure that we're investing in the kingdom?
And if you want to know what we're supposed to be investing in, just to make sure, all of those talents, I want to go back to verse 10. Okay, look back at verse 10. Because he makes it abundantly clear what he's about. Which means this is what we should be about. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He told this parable right after they heard that. What are you supposed to be about? What am I supposed to be about? What are we supposed to be about? What Jesus is about. Who will you talk to this week? Who will you invite this week? Who will you share the gospel with this week? Who will you talk to about Jesus this week? Who will you invite into your home? Who will you who will you go meet for lunch? Who will you who will you invest in? Look, some of you are going to be called to the ends of the earth, but all of us are called to live right here. Three quarters of our county does not identify as followers of Christ. Let's get to work. What do you say? Until he returns. Every gift given from him, invested for his kingdom purposes. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be faithful, that we would live as if you are crowned as king. Lord, that we would trust that you are our king and that you are good, faithful, and returning. That we would look to the life that we have now as a gift of your mercy and grace. And we would extend that same mercy and grace to others. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we